Coming up on this week's show, Amber Smith is here to tell us how she took two books and combined them into one. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 201 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamsrights.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. We are so glad that you could join us uh, for some little, a little bit of book talk. As always. Yes. There'll actually be more book talk this week than there was last week, because last week was all Broadway talk. Uh, and how. <laughs> um, if, you, if you stuck out the entirety of last week's episode, uh, kudos to you. I applaud you. Um, that was a long one, um, but it was, it's, it was stuff that had to be said. Yeah. And hopefully people <laughs> got past the Broadway stuff to get to the RWA stuff <sighs> to hear those amazing speeches from Laquette and Radcliffe. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed last week. This one should be, uh, hopefully, a little bit shorter. Uh, let's get to it. Jeff and I were uh, unexpectedly busy. Um, we were tasked with making some important business decisions. Yeah, that business hat was on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where our entire week went. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to believe, like, that was an entire week, and now it's time to travel again. I, yeah, we, we had a, a business week of difficult, but uh, decisions that will eventually, uh, I, I don't know, bear fruit? Bear fruit. Um, there are a lot of really good things uh, coming around the bend. Um, and yes, we are being purposely vague because... We are um, vague, ca- vague casting. Um, this is not... <laughs> the appropriate time to announce those specific things, uh, but that is coming up very soon. Yeah. Uh, What was I going to talk about before I said that? Travel. Travel, yes. Uh, This week was about business. Next week, we are on the road yet again. We are going to board a flight to Orlando. We are headed to a little shindig called Podcast Movement. It is a yearly, really ginormous gathering of podcasters from around the world. And since we've been doing the podcasting thing for about five years now, we thought maybe we should go learn a little bit more about it. <laughs> uh, we, when we started this, it was very much what's the basics that we need and how do we do it? And it was a lot of Googling and watching YouTube videos. Yep. And off we went. And we've we've read books along the way. We've kept up on the, the industry a little bit. But it's time to go kind of take a deep dive into that. And it's going to be interesting to go... For the first time in a long time, to learn something completely different than what we usually do, because usually we're all about either events that are very writer-centric for craft things or very reader-centric for, you know, getting out in front of the the people who read our books. And this is going to be something, yeah, really completely different. We were looking at the... I'm, yeah. He's, I'm, he I'm, might be a little overwhelmed. I'm not overwhelmed at all. Uh, we were looking at the schedule for this event, and uh, who, boy, anything you could ever want to know about podcasting is going to be happening next week in Orlando. And we will uh, return, 
return from the swampy land of Florida. Uh, y'all, we are going to Florida in August. We're insane. We are nuts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when we get back next week, we'll kind of give you some of the highlights um, yeah. of what we encountered there. For sure. And of course, speaking of podcasts, we have a brand new show that we debuted last week. Uh, if you're an author out there in our audience, uh, please give a listen to the Big Gay Author Podcast where we talk about our journeys and efforts to become full-time authors of gay fiction. We've got six episodes out there right now. We drop them every Saturday. And you can check out what we're doing there at BigGayAuthorPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully J is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. Now, of course, last week's show was extremely Broadway-centric, and we're going to take just a quick minute to talk about another musical. We saw our local Broadway at Music Circus production of The Wiz yesterday afternoon. Every time I see this show, I forget what a delight it is. It's like, oh yeah, this show's really awesome. <laughs> the Wiz, of course, is a take on the, you know, classic The Wizard of Oz story as Dorothy goes off to see Oz and, you know, meets the, the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow. And this version of it was spectacular. And once again... Stunning at what they produce in this theater in the round. Um, the use of video here blew me away. They did a lot more with uh, their video screens than they tend to do. They usually they just set like a little bit of setting, and this time there was tornadoes and moving down the yellow brick road and all kinds of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. What did you think? This is like the second time we've seen the Wiz in person and the third overall I well actually not counting the film but also NBC's live production a few years ago. I really The Wiz has always been one of my favorites just personally it's uh, something I'm really into. And it was only uh, a couple of years ago that I actually saw the stage production for the very first time. Mm -hmm. um, so as I become more acquainted with that version as opposed to the film version which is uh, pretty different um, like 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 you said, I, I'm loving it more and more. And this particular production was quite lovely. I really love what Music Circus is able to do, and we're delighted each and every time that we go. <laughs> yep, our last one of the season comes up in two weeks when we see how they put in the heights into the round. I was just thinking that in the past six weeks, we have probably <laughs> seen more shows than most people see in their entire lifetimes. And that's not hyperbole. I think that's an actual fact. And like you said, we still got more to go this summer. This has been a chock full 
<laughs> Chock full of summers, full of yeah. singing and dancing. Yeah. Love it. It's the best way to be. <laughs> uh, also, it's been a couple episodes since we talked about Pose. Uh, and it's worth mentioning this show, which is about two weeks away as we record this from its season finale. Uh, it's really been extraordinary. That first season was oh so good. And I feel like they've really pushed it so much further uh, in the last few episodes of season two so far. Uh, the the What they're doing with Pray Tell, uh, which is Billy Porter's character, um, as he... Uh, is actually getting a little sicker uh, from uh, his HIV AIDS diagnosis. He's having some real issues with AZT and has gone through a lot. Uh, that plot line's amazing. Blanca is trying to run her own business to provide for her house and her children better. And that's running into all kinds of interesting uh, problems because of Patty Lapone, because, you know, Patty Lapone can come in and just wreak all kinds of havoc. She's playing in an amazing. Uh, real estate tycoon in New York. Uh, and this past week uh, really saw some interesting stuff go down because Praytel and younger man Ricky uh, are taking up an affair um, as they both now are diagnosed with HIV. Um, really some amazing work there. And something that struck me in these last few episodes is that Ricky and Damon are actually very close to the age that I was in the early 90s. They're within a year of the age that I was and just the the vastly different lives. I had no idea at that age how vastly different things were in New York for people living with AIDS and going through what that was like. That it's just It's been an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. So if you are interested in checking out Pose, the first season is available in most spots on demand. And you can check out this season of Pose on FX and on demand as well. Yes. Shall we do books? Let's talk about some books, shall we? Um, This past week, Jeff and I both read Lucy Lennox's Wild Love. Now, Liam Wilde and Weston Marion, or as they're more commonly referred to, Doc and Grandpa, um, they've been background characters and a grounding presence in each of the stories in Lucy Lennox's Wild series. And their grandchildren have found love in each of the books so far, but in Wild Love, we finally get the story behind Doc and Grandpa's um, decades-long affair. Um, serving together in Vietnam, their respect and their friendship is uh, literally forged in battle. And after the war, Liam returns to Hobie, Texas to his wife and children. And when Weston retires from the service, it's with Doc and the Wild family uh, on their ranch that he sort of uh, reintegrates into civilian life. Weston becomes an indispensable part of the family, but when tragedy unexpectedly strikes, they depend on one another and eventually realize that the devotion that they share goes far beyond friendship. It's actually love. I don't have enough adjectives about <laughs> this book. Uh, in, a, in a year so far that has been so chock full of amazing reads. I feel like 2019 has been better the best read years maybe ever for so many books. <laughs> this book shot to the top of my list. It's on like my all-time favorites and there's so many reasons why. I mean, we've watched Doc and Grandpa for so long in the wild books now because what are we up to like five or six? six this might be the sixth one I think and then King Me just came out to be the seventh um, 
from the get-go, I wanted to know these guys' story. And Lucy's done such an amazing job of taking us back in time. And we say this a lot, like, romance always ends with that happy. And you so know the happy that Doc and Grandpa have because of the other books. But to go back and see how it started, to see how their friendship forged in Vietnam... The Vietnam scenes were incredible. I can't imagine the amount of research that Lucy did to make you feel like you were in the trenches with them. And then to move forward and see them come back home and the the delicate way that she handled almost the love triangle between Doc and Grandpa and, and Liam's wife. Um and her acceptance of what their friendship was. And I, I, I think she knew what was actually going on there um, and how deep that friendship actually ran. And it never felt weird or odd. It was just, I had a hard time just not weeping in happiness for these men throughout the entire story. It was just remarkable to me. Now, aside from the fact that always lucy always delivers the emotional punch oh yeah with her books um and this one is certainly no exception do you think that the strong feelings that readers have towards um doc and grandpa do you think that the what am i trying to say um not that it like colored your interpretation of the story but do you think there was already a uh, built-in backlog of emotion. I, I know I personally felt very strongly about these two characters uh, before we even got to this particular story. And I think what what this particular book does is it it uh, not only like fills in their backstory, it sort of illuminates what we have sort of felt and inferred before these are two very strong very capable very they're they're good down to their very core Mm -hmm. and this book uh kind of uh, color colors in what we've uh felt and sort of uh uh it it fills in all the blanks that we've seen in the previous books yeah because we know that they're fiercely devoted to their to their children and their grandchildren they are fiercely devoted to fighting for what's right and making things good even in the face of whatever the crisis is. Um, And this fills all that in. You know how these two became the men that they are, Mm -hmm. both as a couple and even separately because you get so much backstory on these two and what they were before they became Doc and Grandpa Mm -hmm. or even before they became friends. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that definitely colors it, but in the best way possible. Uh, I don't know, I can't think of any other book series that I've seen where somebody's taken characters and gone backwards. There's always, I want to give these two a story and give these two a story. But here you had an established story and you went backwards. Um, and you still made me 100% invested. I know what their end game was. Down, you know, to the very current day, and I was still like, "Oh, what are they going to do? Oh my God, this is so bad. What's going to happen now?" Ah. Got me all that angstiness, even though I knew, and it's just, it just made me so happy. Mm-hmm. It really did, and 
yeah, I don't think Lucy Lennings can do wrong by me ever. <laughs> but this one in particular, I mean, this is what I'm going to have to get her to sign at GRL. Oh, yeah. And put it up on my shelf of all-time great reads. Yeah. And we got to give a shout-out to Michael Pauly, too. Michael always does a great job with Lucy's books. But the epilogue to Wild Love brings together, I think, every single character from the Wild and Marion universe. And he has to do all of them in that scene and he does an outstanding job so if you are looking for an emotional and satisfying either ebook or audiobook listen we highly recommend wild love by lucy lennox yeah i don't think they could have decided could have thought that we felt any other way about mm, that well, you know. <laughs> uh, i've also got a ya book i'd like to talk about uh one that i've managed to not read for a couple years now uh it's dreadnought by April Daniels. Now, as I said, I'm late to the game with this young adult superhero novel. Uh, this book came out back in 2017, and I've seen it on some must-read lists. And when it finally turned up as an audible daily deal, I jumped on it, and I'm so glad that I did. This book fits nicely alongside my love for C.B. Lee's sidekick series, with heroes who discover that having powers isn't exactly all it's cracked up to be in a messed-up world. Danny Tozer's life isn't the best. She's, she's trapped in a body in a boy's body, and no one wants her to be her authentic self. Her parents insist that she always acts the boy, play football, no emotional outbursts. She's got to do all the things that young men are expected to do. Now, when she sneaks off to a mall that's off the beaten path to get some nail polish to paint her toenails, because this is really the only part of herself that she can get away and express the girlness that she that she is. Uh, she witnesses a major battle in the sky between the city's protector, Dreadnought, and a new super powerful baddie. This battle doesn't end well because Dreadnought is severely injured and actually crashes into the parking garage where Danny was painting her nails before she was going to go back home. Uh, Dreadnought dies and ends up and passes over his mantle and powers to Danny. Now, her bodily instantly transforms to match how she feels inside. And that's only the beginning of what changes. When she gets home, her parents freak out because she's come home with a girl's body. And I have to say that at times this book was quite difficult to read because of the hate that rolls off of her father. Uh, he rants and promises to fix whatever's happened to his boy. Uh, her mom, on the other hand, almost treats her like a plaything with a chance to go shop with the daughter that she's never had. Danny, of course, is thrilled with this change because she's become the person that she always knew she should be. And of course, once it's discovered what's actually happened, uh, mom and dad want to go to the superhero league to get this whole thing reversed and put Danny back to the way that they think she should be. Now, speaking of the league, Danny's not sure what to make of them as they poke and prod her to make sure that she got the mantle and that everything is how it's supposed to be. Now, superheroes are unfortunately no better than the rest of society. Some welcome her, some don't appreciate that Dreadnought, Dreadnought's mantle was passed to a woman, and some don't want the mantle with a transgender person. There's so much to love about this book, and the core of everything is how Danny handles her transition into not only being the woman that she wants to be, but also how to deal with these new powers. While the League helps her a little bit, and really only as much as they can get away with, because you're not supposed to be a superhero until you're at least 18, you know, because there are age requirements, apparently. Um, it's another teen, uh, Calamity, who really shows her the ropes. 
Calamity is what's known as a gray cape, uh, kind of in that in-between space between the good white capes and the really evil black capes. And they go off and join up to fight crime because why not? It's really incredible following along as Danny uncovers what she's truly capable of. And ultimately, Danny and Calamity start to piece together who killed Dreadnought. And it turns out that that super baddie is named Utopia. And oh my God, does Utopia have a super awful plan afoot. <laughs> now, Danny and Calamity are pretty incredible together as they forge this more than superhero colleague thing. They really become friends. Um, teenagers, they're heroes, and unfortunately, they've both got a ton of baggage. Calamity helps Danny embrace her hero side, and they both help each other deal with some of the crappy cards that life has dealt both of them. April Daniels does such an incredible job of balancing the heroes, doing what needs to be done, while also giving them the moments to be teenagers overwhelmed by the situation that is unfolding before them, and the fact that they lack the sufficient support system to really help them deal with it. It's empowering to see these heroes in action, heartbreaking with the non-hero life that they have to deal with, but inspiring how they work to get past all of it because none of it defines who they are. April's crafted an incredible story here. The stuff that goes on with Utopia really blew my mind. And on several occasions, the way that Utopia's plan was coming together was just like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. The final showdown is of epic proportions. And it, the stuff that happens here, if this was an Avengers movie, the Avengers would unite and deal with it. And here <laughs> it is poor Danny dealing with the whole thing. It's really awesome. Uh, to see her in action. And you really have, I cheered more than once for her um, <laughs> as she just like dealt with the problem. Uh, Got to give a shout out to narrator Natasha Sodek. She brings so much depth to Danny from the soaring highs of defeating bad guys to the unsuredness of everything that's happening around her. It's truly, truly a stellar performance. I got to go pick up the second book in this series because I'm eager to see what happens next. And if you can't tell, I really, really enjoyed Dreadnought by April Daniels. If you want to pick up any of the things we talked about, including the books, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 201 at biggayfictionpodcast.com and you'll find the links right there. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So continuing the YA thread that we've got going on, we've got Amber Smith joining us this week, and she's going to tell us all about her book, Something Like Gravity. Welcome, Amber, to the podcast. It is great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. So... I reviewed something like Gravity back in uh, episode 195, and it was it was the summer book that I didn't know I was looking for. And I'd, I'd like you to start us off by telling everybody, in your own words, what this book is about. Uh, well, um, so this book is about a lot of things, but really at its center, it's a story about falling in love for the first time and finding yourself in the process. So it's told between um, our two main characters, Chris and Maya, and both of them are going through a really difficult time in, in each of their lives. Chris has recently come out as transgender, 
and he's really trying to figure out um, how to navigate his life now that everything's suddenly changing. Um, and he's also trying to process this really um, terrifying assault that, that he survived the year earlier. And Maya, um, she is dealing with the recent death of her older sister. And so both of their lives look very, very different. But the one thing that they have in common that brings them together is that they're both trying to figure out who they are going to become in the face of these, you know, really life-changing events that they've been through. What was your inspiration behind the book? You know, there were a lot of um, various threads of inspiration, but um, it's funny. I actually started writing this book as two separate books. So um, Chris was the protagonist of one. Maya was the protagonist of the other. And um, I, I do generally work on two things at the same time. Um because if I get stuck on one, I can sort of hop over to the other thing I'm working on. So, um, but I always thought of these as separate books in the beginning. And Chris's story was primarily about coming out and being queer and being trans and trying to figure all of that out. And Maya's was a story about grief. And so at a certain point, um, I think it became too hard for me to continue working on these stories because both of them were super personal. So I was drawing from a lot of my own experiences with coming out as a lesbian and also, you know, dealing with the loss of loved ones um, myself. At a certain point, I thought, you know, what can I do to kind of make this easier on myself? And I thought about giving Chris a love interest. And when I started to think about, okay, like, what would be the kind of person that would be really good for Chris and would kind of balance him out and, um, you know, all of those wonderful things that happen in a relationship. And I immediately thought of Maya, this other character that I was that I was writing. And that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, I think these stories were always meant to be one story. And I, it just took me a while to realize it. That's amazing to me on a couple levels. I mean, A, because I can't do two projects at once because it makes my head want to explode. <laughs> <laughs> but also there's, I mean, just coming back to the title, something like Gravity, it's like Gravity just pulled between these two stories and brought these two together from the disparate places that you had them. Did the characters fundamentally change when you brought them together or did everything just click into place once that happened? Well, <clears throat> not necessarily. So I think the biggest part was just that I had been working on these stories for so long. I, it, so maybe, I don't think much of my original writing made it into the final book, but I think doing that writing on both of the stories prior to combining them as one really helped me to get to know each character in that sense, because I knew each of them so well, I knew their voices, I knew their histories, it was sort of easy to bring them together. But I mean, I had to rewrite everything. But sure. uh, but 
I think it was almost like telling the stories of two people I knew really well already. Any chance that those original stories get to become prequels or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that idea. <laughs> hmm, something to think about. I don't know. <laughs> Future thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> As you noted, I mean, both Chris and Maya have these weighty things that they're dealing with on both sides. What was your process to kind of present that authentically uh, to the readers? I always, whenever I'm starting a story, I begin with um, my own experience. And so I, I, I always sort of view writing as therapy in a way. So like Chris and Maya's experiences start out as something very real that's happened in my life. But then as I write them, they become something else. Um, so I don't know. I think <clears throat> I just always have in the back of my mind um, the roots, like emotion or the emotional world of that I lived in as kind of the 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 parameters for this story. And so hopefully anyway, that helps to keep things feeling real and authentic. And then you put the love story in with this, the way that you counterbalance what they're going through with this super sweet love story. It's, it, it, it was unique to me how that worked because for some of the story, at least they're almost not dealing with their issues because they're finding this in each other. How did that kind of all mix together for you? Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things I realized as I was writing the book separately in the beginning was that I was focused so much on the pain that each of these characters felt. And, um, you know, and I've written about trauma and assault and grief um, in the past, and it felt like I was sort of like rehashing or like reopening old wounds of my own. And I just thought, you know, I really like, I need to do something different here. And it took me a while to figure out that I wanted this to be a love story because, you know, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around like, well, why was I writing it that way in the first place? And I had this sort of like switch flipped in my mind when I started thinking about the love story aspect. I thought, you know, what I would love to do with this book is make love be more powerful than the pain that each of each of them were experiencing. And so that kind of helped me to steer the story um, in a different direction. And <clears throat> when I when I really started thinking about it, that love and connection and relationships, those are the things that really helped me heal during the hardest times in my life. And so um, I think it can be so easy to focus on the darkness sometimes. But um, when I really thought about even my own life, I realized, you know, the things that really got me out of those dark places were my connections with other people and learning how to love myself and falling in love for the first time. And so that became something I wanted to explore more than that other side of, of things. 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too that the essentially the the secondary story for both characters is their relationship with their parents, who are both yeah. dealing with. For Chris, it's his parents coming to understand, you know, that that Chris has come out as trans. And for Maya, they're going through the same grief that she is having lost their daughter. Yeah. How did you approach like layering that piece in? Because again, you've you've balanced this out so beautifully how it just all kind of ebbs and flows together. But there's a lot in play here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I think... um, the actually the family dynamics with each of the characters i will say that's the one thing that's that kind of carried over when i was working on these as separate books and in my original um ideas for both chris and maya one of the big things that they were dealing with were these like really complicated family issues that were going on. Yeah. So I I think I just, I always knew from the beginning, I wanted part of their journeys to be trying to work out all of this, like messy, complicated, emotional stuff with their families um, and with themselves. So yeah, I I don't know. I don't really know how I I layered it in because I think it was just always in the back of my mind that that stuff needed to be there. Mm-hmm. And I I had thought of Chris and Maya's relationship, the way that they grow and discover more about themselves as kind of the the framework of getting to the place where they were able to then deal with their family stuff mm-hmm. because they evolved too. Did you have to do... A lot of research. There's certainly in your acknowledgments in the book, you, you list out a whole bunch of, of people and things that you looked at to help craft all this. And, it, and so it mm-hmm. seems like there was quite a bit that went on to create the characters and create the situations. And then, as we kind of talked about a little bit, getting it authentically on the page. Yeah. Um, for this book in particular, I really reached out to a lot of different readers Um friends, people who um, have gone through similar things to Chris and Maya. So I had um, friends who identify as trans or non-binary read different sections of the book, um, looking at Chris's perspective. I even had a professor at one of the universities here in North Carolina um, really like go through the entire manuscript with a fine-tooth comb because while, and particularly looking at Chris's um, Chris's side of the story, because even though I kind of started with a kernel of um, my own experience for Chris um, as a queer person, I'm not I'm not transgender, and so I wanted to be very careful that I wasn't doing anything in my narrative in my representation that would be in any way harmful or, um, you know, misrepresenting Chris as a trans man. So that was super, super helpful. And, you know, I found that the areas that I was really worried about in Chris's story 
were not the areas that were pinpointed by my readers um, as being problematic. I think that really went to show, you know, goes to show it really was important for me to seek out those other um, perspectives because the things that I thought might be issues were not the things that they thought were issues. So, yeah, that was a really big process, um, getting getting that feedback from those other readers. One of the things I mentioned in my review and that it struck me about the book is Sweet Love Story, Two Characters with Trauma, and yet the book itself kind of felt like this lazy summer vacation where you're and I think some of it's because of where it's set. So it's set in a small town and you've got Chris and Maya essentially living on farms, if you will, and separated by this field. Uh, and I could just envision hanging out on the porch and just kind of letting the summer kind of go by, bike rides and and these, you know, adventures they went on where they went to the, to the, to the adjacent town to check things out. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of held the story together and kind of kept it in this very innocent place was that deliberate or did it just happen that way because of how it all pieced together as you were going um you know that part of the story really was deliberate um once i started um trying to figure out how to weave chris and maya's stories together i really sat down and i did a lot of like pragmatic planning and plotting which is not something i usually do at all (laughs) um and i think i knew trying to combine two stories i really had to like know where i was going because it could get really confusing (laughs) so the one of the first things i decided was the setting and the time frame so i decided i wanted it to take place in a rural north carolina town which Carson is fictional, but it's based on a lot of the small towns on the on the outskirts of Charlotte where I live. Um, but I knew I wanted it to take place across the course of one summer. And I did that partially because of that feel that you're talking about. I really wanted to give Chris and Maya a space where it was it felt like, their lives and their realities are somewhat suspended for a little bit of time so that they could have the freedom to, um, you know, figure out what they're going to do, figure out how to process everything that's happened in their lives. And I just, I always felt like growing up, like summer is sort of like this, uh, weird, like, time warp kind of area where like (laughs) things just you know don't happen in the same way as the rest of the year Mm -hmm. um and so I definitely wanted to bring in that kind of like lazy feel uh to the whole because it feels like oh like we have all the time in the world but of course we know summer only lasts so long yeah that's also like a little bit of a ticking clock I could put in there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you hope readers take away from the book? I really wanted readers to be able to look at Chris and Maya's story and find pieces of themselves in each of these characters. Um, So even if a reader isn't trans or queer or grieving, 
I hope that they might be able to find some commonality with Chris and Maya, and maybe that's just the the simple fact of being able to relate to falling in love for the first time. But then for people who do identify with the things that Chris and Maya are going through, maybe if the reader is trans or non-binary or going through a major loss or some kind of upheaval in their lives, I would hope that they could look at Chris and Maya as a way of knowing that there are people in the world who understand what they're going through and they're not alone. Let's talk a little bit about Amber Smith's origin story. What got you into writing and kind of specifically into writing these powerful young adult books? Because this is not your first one that deals with weighty material. I sort of came to writing in a very roundabout way, um, as a lot of people do. (laughs) So when I was growing up, um, I always wrote, like I always kept journals and when I was a little bit older, like a teenager, um, I wrote poetry and so, but all of my writing was very personal and um, not something I ever would show anyone. It was more like therapy. Like even when I was a little kid, I remember having the little diaries and um, it was like, I would just write about what in my life, what happened that day, just sort of like dumping everything out of my head. <laughs> so I was actually much more involved in the visual arts all throughout my life. Um, that's what I really focused on when I was in high school. I ended up going to college for painting. I have my BFA in painting. And then I went on to get my master's in art history because I was um, – I had worked in some art gallery settings as an undergrad, and I was like, you know, um, I really think I want to be a part of this whole art world in this way. Maybe not as an artist, but as someone who kind of brings art to people. And so I did that for a long time. I was working um, in the art world as a curator, and during that time, I was doing a lot of writing for my work, but it was like more um, writing about art history and like biography type writing. And this also coincided with the first time I really didn't have a dedicated studio to work on my own. And I think I really, even though I loved what I was doing in the art museum world, I really missed um, working on my own creative stuff. And so it was only then that I really looked at writing as a not just a therapeutic outlet, but it became more of my creative outlet. And that's when I started working on my first book. And and that, that first book, that actually started out as very much therapeutic writing, like and then the the longer I spent with this story, it kind of morphed into something more fictional. And um, I I guess I was sort of hooked at that point. It was, I think I realized, wow, you know, I can really do a lot with fiction. And it was really healing. Um, just like when you read a book, a fictional book, it can be a lot easier to sometimes relate to a fictional character and have empathy for their situation and kind of see the big picture. 
more so than we can sometimes do for ourselves. And mm-hmm. and that's sort of what writing became for me very early on. Uh, so yeah, that's how I got. <laughs> that's how I got here. That's a good story. <laughs> I like how you went from uh, essentially one creative expression to another. From creating, you know, works of art to now creating a different work of art, if you will. And then, you know, something like Gravity is the first book where I've been able to kind of bring in some of my art background. So that was really fun. Yeah, with Maya's photography, I could see how that could kind of bridge that bridge that gap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What would you say the trademark of an Amber Smith book is? I would say... The trademark is the story is going to be emotional. It's going to deal with some difficult stuff and it's going to be very real. So I definitely don't like to kind of sugarcoat things all that much. So it can be a little gritty. Gritty is a good word for it, actually, having, having now read this one. Who are some of your author influences? Oh, you know, um, some of the authors who really influenced me the most are the authors that I read when I was in high school. So I remember um, YA wasn't necessarily a a thing yet when I was um, like a younger teenager. But in my senior year of high school, I remember um, there were several books that came out right at that time. And I you know, I was a big nerd, so I volunteered at my school library, and Me my too. librarian was like my best friend. <laughs> so she would give me all of the books that were coming in for me to like take home and read first before anybody else. So I remember reading um, "Speak" by Laurie House Anderson, and that book really stands out for me. It it just changed my life. Because I think it was one of the first times I remember feeling like a book truly brought me this deep sense of comfort and like I was seen and understood. I was not alone. And um, that really stayed with me. And then there were um, other books that came out right around that time. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, that was a huge book for me, too, that I read in when I was in high school. Let's see. Sonia Sones. Her debut, Stop Pretending, came out. And it was um, written in verse. And that was also the first time I had read something like that. And it really made an impact. So, um yeah, you know, I think back to those books I read when I was a teenager, and the ones that really affected me were those ones that were about really serious issues, and they are the ones that made me feel like I was not alone. There was hope. Things could get better. Um, and and so I guess that's sort of where I'm coming from now as a writer. Mm-hmm. I think back to... You know, what did I, what were the stories I needed when I was a teenager? And what's coming up next for you? Well, I'm not entirely sure. that I have a couple of things in the works. Um, <clears throat> so I'm pretty sure what is going to be next is going to be actually a middle grade book. So going a little bit younger. So that's really exciting. Um, 
I've been wanting to kind of um, explore different genres. You know, I just like I think back to middle school was actually a lot more traumatic for me than high school. <laughs> so it's funny, like, actually, I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I look forward to seeing what that could be because I've, uh, over time, I've read some really compelling middle grade books. Yeah. Yeah. Things that have been coming out recently, too, are just amazing. And what's the best way for everybody to keep up with you online so they can follow along with what you're doing and, and, and when new stuff comes out? Ah, yeah. Well, I always um, keep updates going on my website, ambersmithauthor.com. Um, but I'm most active on Instagram. So on Instagram, I'm at Amber Smith author. I'm also on Twitter as a Smith author and, um, Facebook as well. So definitely, uh, keep up with me there. I love hearing from, from readers and it just, I get so excited when I see messages come in from you guys. So fantastic. We'll link up to, to all those places, the books we talked about, and of course, something like gravity. Wish you the best of luck with that as this summer continues this year. Oh, thank you so much. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGateFictionPodcast.com. I so loved talking to Amber. Mm -hmm. the, the, the way that she built this book out of two separate ones because she had characters that weren't working together weren't working right in the individual books and then brought them together. It blew my author mind. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't work on two projects at the same time. So the fact she was doing that already was amazing. And then she's like, I think these two characters need to be together was even more amazing. So I love talking to her. And if you guys have not picked up her book, you really should do so because it's really quite something. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder before we leave you that you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our super fans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Now, joining is super easy, and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes, the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests, and lots more. For all the details, simply go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now... Coming up in episode 202, Lisa from The Novel Approach is going to join us, and she's got some book recommendations. Yes, she does. I've already recorded this segment, and I'll just tell you in advance that there's going to be some Gregory Ash fanboying going on. Well, fanboying and fangirling going on, so there you go. Coming next week. Definitely. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.